If you were here last week, um, you were blessed by Chris's message. Um, he started us out, kind of got off the tee box with uh, the covenant of Noah, which was such a cool thing. And I am taking on today the covenant of, of Abraham. And I'm excited about this. This is such a rich, rich message. Um, so if you get your notes out or, or whatever you want to do, but I do want you to have your Bibles open. So I'm going to say it again. Would you open your Bibles to Genesis chapter 12? Um, you know, the concept behind us doing this series, why we chose this as a Christmas series, the covenant, um, is really to show um, that the coming of the Messiah, the baby Jesus, the chosen one, was simply, when Jesus came to earth, what it was is, it was simply a continuation of the four covenants that we see in the Old Testament. There are four different covenants in the Old Testament that we're going to kind of highlight over these next three weeks. Um, the first, like I said, was Noah. Today is the Abraham covenant. Um, the one after that is going to be the Moses covenant. And then we're going to finish up with David. And these covenants are, are interesting because the first two are for all people. For, for When you see the rainbow, that's still for all people. When we look at the covenant today from Abraham, that's for all people. Next week with Moses, that will be for a specific people. And we'll correlate that to the covenant that you and I are currently experiencing in Christ. How many of you are glad that you're in Christ? Say amen. So what Chris did last week is he said the definition of a covenant is simply this. And I think they have those exact same slides from last week. A covenant is, agree is an agreement between two parties. It establishes the relationship. And what Chris did right off the bat is he said, hey, let's go over these two different types of covenant. One is conditional. Um, if you'll put that next slide up, the conditional covenant. A conditional or a bilateral covenant is an agreement that is binding on both parties for its fulfillment, right? Both sides have to play a part in that. It's conditional, right? Both parties agree to fulfill certain conditions. If either party fails to meet their responsibilities, the covenant is broken and neither party has to fulfill the expectations of the covenant. Then the unconditional covenant, by the way, you'll see that with Moses next week, the conditional covenant. This week, though, we're going to also talk about another unconditional covenant, much like Noah, right? An unconditional or unilateral covenant is an agreement between two parties, but only one of the two parties has to do something. Nothing is required of the other party. And so what I want to say, again, to start this out, and I've got quite a large opener this morning, is that the key with these covenants and these agreements is that these covenants in the Old Testament, and this is important for you, kind of shooting the elephant, the, the question that you may have, these covenants, um, this was a response um, of God, or, and I'm going to say it this way, an artwork, an artistic response, an artistic design of creator God in order to watch continue in relationship with a world that had, has, and currently is turning their back on him. So, so what God did in response to people's way of life in the Old Testament was make these covenants, these contracts. And this is really important in, in your, your mindset so that you can understand where we're going with Abraham today. For you to be, for me and you to be clear on this, is that where you and I sit today is actually, guys, it's not much different than from the garden. Obviously, it looks different. People, right? Um, uh, you know, technology, infrastructure, all that is different. But the human heart is very similar to the time when creation of Adam and Eve in the garden, right? 
You need to understand this, that God in the garden created all things from nothing by what? His spoken word. And when he created all things, that means that he owns all things. He holds the world in his hand. He created things, um, whether it be trees or the waters from the bottom of the earth or the moon in the sky, however you want to say it, God created all things. He owns all things. And he created them, watch, in perfection. He created them in order. He created them very pure. And I want you to know that with the human, uh, the human race, that was the same thing. That when he created man and woman, he sat back and he said, this is my prized possession, this is good. Okay? What I want you to understand is where's the difference between now and there? Um, just like Adam and Eve in the garden, they had a full dependence upon God for their resources, for the growth, right? As God said, hey, take over the earth, right? Have dominion over, over the earth and multiply. What God was saying is, is basically this, multiply, but I'm going to still be your source. And I will tell you this, whether it's the pandemic that we're currently in or the fact that we've had one inch of rain in 2020, we are still very dependent upon God. You, you hear what I'm saying? Like we're still, anybody in this room can make it rain. Anybody in this room can make this virus stop in a second. The, the, the concept is the same as back then. You and me, 4,000 years later, are still very dependent on God for our ingenuity of things. Those are God-implanted ideas. For our ability to procreate, for our ability to inhabit the earth, our inspiration, we're still dependent on the Lord. And here's the sad thing. The sad thing is that as humankind continues to develop, and more science and discovery is made, um, and, and, and as science proves and shows the glory of God, not only in creation, but the evolving of man, right, and ingenuity, um, man has found ways, as science has improved, to belittle and remove God from the equation altogether, rather than the opposite, so rather than science and technology and discovery improving our dependence upon God, it's removed our dependence upon God. My little guy that you just saw up there, it's, it's, it's so funny. He had his birthday, right, on October 10th, and he got uh, $10 from somebody. And then he does little chores around the house, and, you know, he's got, he makes little dollar bills here and there, and he wants to go to Walmart with his $16. So him and I go to Walmart, and you would not believe the brazenness of this child. Like all of a sudden, $16 meant, dad, I don't need you anymore, right? So until he gets to the $35 Lego and I say, you don't got enough, and then he looks at me and says, I need you. My, my point is, is the amount of money that he had in his, in his hands, the amount of gifting that he was given made him go like this. Hey, dad, old man, see you later. Now, take the analogy and put that towards ourselves. The more science that we get, the more discovery that we get, we start to find ourselves removing our dependence from the Lord, and that is not at all what the design of life was. See, when sin came into the world, creation had an incredible decline of being fulfilled by, watch, this is important, creation had an incredible um, decline in their fulfillment of relationship with God. The design was, I'm God, the creator, and I have given you everything. And that right there should bond us. 
rather than, and I'm going to mention this later, everything that's created becoming your God. Okay? And for you to go seek your own. So now here we have Jesus in Luke chapter 22. He's saying, hey, listen, there needs to be a new covenant. I've come, right, not as a baby and stayed a baby, but grown through ministry, the spotless lamb of God, the one that's come to take away the sins of the world. And he's sitting there with his disciples, right, before he goes to the, the cross. And he says this, he took bread, he gave thanks, and he broke it. It's going to be important later in this covenant. And he gave it to them saying, this is my body given for what? You. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after the supper, he took the cup saying, this is the cup. This cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is what? Poured out for you. So what, what we got to see with this whole concept of covenant, with me bringing in the Abraham covenant today, is for you to understand that we are able to take part back into relationship this un, with, because of this unconditional extension of this new covenant of grace that Jesus offers us. Right? We're allowed to be back in fellowship, very similar to the first man and woman, right? Because of why? Because of the extension of this covenant in Jesus Christ. Now, some of you are looking and scratching your head and you're saying, well, what's going on here? Why can't I just be a good person? What you have to understand, and this is something that just is not talked about very often in churches. What's very important in this idea of covenant is because of God's inherent righteousness. Inherent, meaning it is what it is. He is righteousness. Because of God's inherent righteousness, he will not allow his glory to be, um, to be muddled, to be defamed, because of our sin. So relationship with him, because of our efforts, that is impure on our own righteousness, won't happen unless there is what? A new covenant that came and says, hey, when you take part of this new covenant by one word, your belief, now you and me can remain together in fellowship. That makes sense. Everybody with me? So the gap between, um, in this new covenant, the, the gap is, is, is closed. The chasm be between your sinful nature and God is removed and, and crossed because of God's um, eternal covenant that he's offered through Jesus' blood. So I want to show today just some really cool similarities between the new covenant and the Abraham covenant. But I also want to tell you this, <laughs> As a pastor and as a teacher of the Bible, there is no way that I can take 38 chapters of Genesis, which monopolize Abraham's life, right, all of Genesis, and do it in 45 minutes. Unless you guys just want to be here until, like, the night game tonight, and there's a Chiefs game, it's going to be a blowout, so we can just stay here, right? So I say that because I just want you to know I'm not going to be able to hit every single thing of Abraham's life and his lineage in 45 minutes. You understand? Everybody okay with that? But, but I will say this. I want you to explore this because this is a deep, man, there's some deep stuff in this. There's some beautiful stuff in this. Chris asked this question last week. It was a good question. He asked this question. He said, why are all these other covenants needed? He kind of asked a rhetorical question. What's the purpose of the Old Testament covenants? Like, why did, why did God make a covenant never to destroy the earth with water? Why did he do that in the first place? 
That's what he asked last week. Why would God create um, a pact with just the Jewish people? Why would he do that? Why not just start at the very beginning with Jesus Christ? Why would you just not start with Jesus Christ to to bring the world back and have that? What's the concept behind that? Why did God allow for 2,000 years there to be this, um, from the time of Abraham to Jesus, there to be this this covenant that is marked by terrible loss, by incredible tragedy, by people turning their back, by failures, right, on one side of it? Why would God allow that? Has anybody asked that question or is it just me that's asked that, right? Is it sure? It's not because God didn't know it was going to happen, right? It's not, it's not because God said, holy cow, they surprised me here. I set up a covenant for them, and they just messed up. Oh, my, you got me. No, that's not, that's not at all, and I, 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 that's kind of tongue-in-cheek. But it's not because God was surprised. It's not because he made a mistake. So, so first, I want to just say this to kind of disarm you. The first thing you got to know is this, right? Even though it doesn't really fit into our 21st century, I'm a Christian and I'm in charge of the world theory that we live in, right? There is the ways of God, the vision of God, the movement of God, the disbursement of God's blessing, that's actually controlled by God, not you. Everybody with me on that, right? Like it... Like, God has the ability because he works in completely different dimension than you and me to be mysterious, right? Isaiah chapter 55, we've read this tons of times, right? For my thoughts are not your thoughts. You got that, right? My thoughts are not your thoughts. It's a completely different level. Neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. As the high as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts higher than your thoughts, Right? He doesn't have to follow a certain mold. So there is, I'm just going to say in advance, because I've asked myself that question a lot of times, why didn't you just start with Jesus, Lord? There's possi- Part of it is mystery. Part of it is that he was developing humankind in a certain way that will never know this side of eternity. But I'll be in line to ask. But the second thing I want to say about that is, why didn't Jesus just come right from the very beginning? As I'd say this, that there's a statement or a quote that I've heard, probably you've heard as well, that says this, God is all you, you never know God is all you need until God is all you have. I think Rick Warren wrote that. You never know God is all you need until God is all you have. So what you see in human history with the children of Israel and everything that we read from Babylonian captivity to all these different kings that have come around, to the prophets, to the judges, um, to, to people rising and falling, the splitting of kingdoms, all that you see throughout all of that came to one small yet very large conclusion. People left to themselves will chase the wrong thing. So I don't know if that was, that was, I think it's part of God's design. I'm going to give these opportunities for them to fail. Well, that kind of seems morbid. But I guess, I guess I know this. When I get to the end of myself, I realize, man, I need the Lord. Let me, let me you know what? There's kings over here. Let's, let's try to make our life just like that as other pagan countries didn't work. Hey, you know what? We need a prophet. And if a prophet speaks and a prophet judges us for a period of time, we're going to be following right in line. Not for very long. Like there's this gigantic roller coaster of them coming back to God, things going good. Now they're not, right? I mean, it's just human nature. And so what I think God did by doing that is saying, hey, listen, now I'm going to fulfill 
all of those covenants through my son. So what the plan is here for me today is to show you that this covenant with, this covenant with Abraham, and I'll illustrate it so that you see there's a connection. And I'm going to, like I said, because of time, I'm going to cut out a couple things because there's something at the end that I need you to, from an application point of view, that I need you to get. Genesis chapter 12. Let's look at it. I'll remind you this, that Chris talked in last week out of Genesis chapter 9 in the Noah covenant. So here we go. Just, you know, then there's some genealogy that goes on in between those two. There's the Tower of Babel that happens. I mean, you know the Tower of Babel, right? Everybody wants to build a castle up to high heaven. And God goes, no, no, no. Now you guys can't understand each other. I really, whoever's idea that was, I want to punch him because I wish we all just, anyway. All right. And no, they, I, I don't like different languages. Anyway. What? It's hard to learn a language. Never mind. My PR rep just told me I was wrong there. It's hard to learn. For the record, on the camera, it's hard to learn other languages. Thank you. All right. Genesis 12, 1. I'll say what I want. No. Thank you. The Lord said to Abraham, the Lord said to Abraham, this is something that I mentioned earlier, I believe personally, outside the saving grace of God, there's nothing comparable to hearing the voice of God. And you can, and you're going to see this with Abraham in just a moment, you can hear the voice of God in a myriad of different ways. You can hear him audibly. You can hear the Lord in a vision in a dream, you can have the Holy Spirit illuminate something to you in your mind. The word can come alive to you. You can hear a word from someone else for you like I did this morning. Or you could even have the preacher say something that goes directly to your heart and you go, is he reading my mail? The Lord can speak to you in many different ways. And I just want to tell you a step that Kristen and I have been doing in our home for moms and dads. Moms and dads that have children we live in a world that's incredibly cynical. We live in a world that's incredibly sarcastic and pokes holes in everything. I can tell you right now, there's people and the way the kids are being raised, and I see it now even with online school, and watch what they're teaching to our kids in school. Let me tell you something, moms and dads, and I'm passionate about this. Tell your kids, Lincoln, Calvin, tonight, ask the Lord to speak to you. Because if the Lord speaks to a young person, it changes them forever. That's not something that can be explained. That's not something that can be duplicated. And it's not something that can say is inauthentic. Get your kids to ask the Holy Spirit to speak to them. Because I can tell you this, God called a young boy named Samuel and it changed the course of a nation for a long time. God can speak. You saw these kids up here right here, right? If kids get the voice of God more than, listen, religion that says, do this, don't do this, stand, raise your hand, sing. If they hear the voice of God, I'm going to tell you this, you got a much better chance when they're 20 to go, Lord, I need you now. Ask your kids, tell your kids, what did God say to you? Man, we do that on Saturday mornings. What did the Lord say to you? And then we hear all these great, especially from Link, right? He's just wild. So God said to Abraham, he said, go right? Go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land I'll show you. 
I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse, and all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. What I want you to see right off the bat is God says to Abraham, the very first word is go. Go from where you are. I got to make some application here before I do any more teaching. You want to move forward with the Lord? You got to move. You want to do the same thing that you've been doing in church all year, all, all your life? Then you're not going to move forward. God looks at Abraham. He says, hey, listen, all the things that are comfortable to you, everything that you're around, the people that you're around, listen, go. Go from there. That doesn't mean leave this church, by the way, right? Okay, but you don't understand what I'm saying. God said, you want something new? Then you've got to move out in faith, right? It's, it's very much like my wife right now, right? She's, the mornings are cold. She's got like 9,000 blankets on her side of the bed. I've got one sheet. And she does this all the time in the morning time now that it's dark. The alarm goes off and I hear her go, I don't want to, right? And, right? She doesn't want to leave what? What's comfortable, You don't want to leave that safe, like that warmth, right? We don't want to leave what we know and what we can control and what we do. The first thing that God said to Abraham is, get out of your comfort zone. Go away from the people that you've been around. Listen, there are people in this room, as sure as you hear my voice, that God is calling you to leave certain people that you've been attached to for too long. God is asking you to leave certain mentalities. He's asking you to leave certain practices that you're addicted to. And you're coming to me, and you're coming to this body here and going, why can't I move forward with God? And God's going, because you're hanging out at the wrong places at the wrong time with the wrong people doing the wrong thing. Right? Go. Go. That's like the only application I got today. Right? The rest of it is teaching. Look at verse 2. Here we go. It says this. It says, I will make you. I. This is the first part of the covenant that you got to understand. God says, I will make you. I will create it in you. You're nothing. I will make you. I will make you into a great nation. Number one. I will bless you and I will make your name great. Number two, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and whoever curses you, I will curse and all the peoples on the earth will be blessed through you. This is very interesting. This is the covenant. By the way, did you see the last part there? This is cool. And all peoples. That's why I said this is unconditional. All people, say all. All peoples will be blessed through you. Uh-oh. You mean not, not just Americans? You mean not, right? Not just Pentecostals. All people will be blessed through you. I need you to see this typecast, right? That's where we get the song. Father Abraham and many sons, right? All the people come with this blessing. Right? He's 75 years old here. But what God is saying, he's saying, hey, listen, what you're going to be, Abraham, is you're going to be a conduit for my blessing to all people. So the old covenant that we're seeing here is God saying this. In this covenant with you, Abraham, I'm going to make you something special. I'm going to give you a land. I am going to make you a blessing. And what you're going to do with that is you're going to bless others through the blessing I give you. And in the new covenant, this is my body, 
broken for you. Take and eat and do it in remembrance of me. Now, what we're going to do today when, you see, when we do communion at the end of service today is nothing like communion was back then. In Acts chapter 2, verse 46, what it says is they got together for what? Fellowship and the what? The breaking of bread. What I want you to understand and what I want you to see is this covenant that Abraham had where he would be a blessings to all people is the exact same promise that Jesus is to you in the new covenant. Because when you partake of this, and when you partake of this right here, what do you do? What did they do back then? They took it, and what did they do? They passed it down. They didn't take the bread, they didn't take the cup, and they kept it for themselves. You right here have been a partaker in the new covenant. It is your responsibility, just like it was Abraham's responsibility, to pass it on. This is what I've experienced versus being a Christian. This is what I've experienced where I was lost and now I'm found. I'm taking this and I'm giving this experience via myself as an extension. I will be a blessing to all people on earth as I give to others. Do you see that? That's cool. We got to understand that the blessing doesn't just stop with Abraham. Your salvation doesn't just, it doesn't just stop with you. My blessing, my story, my family, guess what? It's yours. Well, I don't know you very well. Guess what? It's yours. Come on. Come to my house. I didn't get a house just to sit around with just four people in it. Everybody, don't come over tonight. <laughs> yeah. No, I'm being serious. If I've been given something, it's yours. And some of you are just going, no, 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 because you'll get taken advantage of. You know what? If I get taken advantage of, guess what? I know that the Lord will provide for it on the backside right? The gospel doesn't stop with you. It didn't stop with Abraham. You will be a blessing for what? All people to be blessed through. You take part in this covenant when you do it this afternoon. Let me tell you something. It is your obligation. It is your duty to go out and say, hey, listen, next door neighbor. Hey, listen, person that sits next to me. Hey, person at the store that I see who's not having a good day and the Holy Spirit's prompting me. You, you have the ability to take part in this as well. That's your obligation. The blessing never stops with you. Everybody with me? I exist to be a vehicle of God's grace, man. Okay? I will make you this, is what Jesus said. I mean, is what God says. I'll make you this. Now, some of you are looking at me and you're going, well, hey, Jay, listen, um, that works nice for you because you came from a really nice family. Yeah, you, you, you know, you've been growing up in church all the time. You don't know my story, Jay. You don't know that I'm a divorced person. You don't know that, I'm, that, I, that I've stolen, that I've, that I've, uh, that I've uh, lied, that I've cheated. You don't understand. I've wreaked havoc on people. I'm just glad to get into the door of heaven. Some of you are saying that in your mind. You're going, oh, yeah, that works for you where you can be a blessing. But you don't understand. I got nothing to offer. I don't have a lineage of history where, where my parents fed this into me. I'm just barely making it. And I want to look at you and I want to say, is that how the kingdom of God works? No. You want to see something really unique? Something really interesting? Yeah, whoa. In Joshua chapter 24, we have this two verses where we see something really strange about Abraham. Joshua 24. Joshua said to all the people, this is generations later, right? Generations later. This is what the Lord, the God of Israel says. Long ago, your ancestors including Terah, the father of Abraham and Nahor, 
lived beyond the Euphrates River and worshipped other gods. But I took your father Abraham from the land beyond the Euphrates and led him throughout Canaan and gave him many descendants. I gave him Isaac, and to Isaac I gave Jacob and Esau. I assigned the hill country to Esau, but Jacob and his family went down to Egypt. What are you saying, Jay? I'll tell you what I'm saying. Abraham was an idol worshiper. How can you say that? I can say that because that was his father that was. And if you're human history, history back then, if your daddy's doing this, you're going where your daddy goes. You don't even get off the land. You stay on the same land. You worship the same God. And if you want to research something, go ahead and research how, uh, what idol worship looked like um, for, for the Canaanites. It's scary. So what am I trying to say? What I'm trying to say is we have no evidence that Abraham was a man of much faith before God said, I'm going to make you something. Your past has no at all, zero Zilch, none, has no bearing on what you will be when you become in Christ in a new creation. Come on. What God said is, you've been a mess. And your family, they've been a disaster. I will make you into something. 2 Corinthians 5, 17, right? We know it by heart. Listen, right? Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. New creation, I'm going to make something out of you. Well, man, you don't know. I had three wives. Okay, let's testify. Let's do something about your past that someone else is going through and the saving grace of what Jesus did for you. You're a new creation. You ain't the same that you were. Man, that's not enough amens, man. That's, it's powerful because we all want to talk about our past. Your past is over. You're a new creation. I will make you into a nation. I like it. I, I, thought it was, I thought it was cool. I liked it. Right? No, I'm just saying, I liked it. Did you like it, Mario? Okay. The big man. Genesis 15.1. Now we're going to see some more of this covenant. It's a little deeper. Genesis 15.1 says this. After this, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a what? How did God talk to him the first time? Who? Orally. How'd he come this time? Please don't ever confine how we're going to do things in this body or how we're going to hear the Lord or what the parameters around. You don't, this is not the church for that. God can speak in a different ways and he can use somebody that I didn't even barely know this morning at 9.09. If you got a word, if God's speaking to you, if it's for the body or for someone here, I'm authorizing you to go and look at that person in humility and say, this is what I believe God's sharing for me. Does this bear witness to you? Did you hear me? I said, do it in humility. We need to hear the voice of God, right? So here God talks to him now in a vision, and he says this, Abram, don't be afraid. I'm your shield, and I'm your great reward. That's going to be key at the end today. I'm your great reward. Now Abram says this in verse 2, which I probably would do the same thing. He says, hey, sovereign Lord, what can you give me since I remain childless? And the one who inherit, uh, inherit my state will be Eliezer of Damascus. And Abram said, you have given me no children, so a servant in my household will be an heir. Abram says this, hey, God, let's, let's do it. Let's, let me make something of this. You want to get in trouble? You take a promise of God. 
and you say, let's fast forward in the, the Justin way. And when you do it in that, or you do it in your own, and kind of take the reins over, be prepared to reap the whirlwind, gentlemen. Because it doesn't work that way. God's timing is, is, is as important as his plan. God's timing is very important. So then God responds to him in verse uh, 4 and 5. Then the word of the Lord came to him. This man will not be your heir, but a son who is your own flesh and blood will be your heir. He took him outside and said, look up at the sky and count the stars. If indeed you can count them. Then he said unto him, so shall your offspring be. Verse 6 is one of the biggest verses in the, in the entire Bible. It's really easy to memorize. Verse 6. Abram believed the Lord, and he, meaning God, credited it to him, meaning Abraham, as righteousness. Abraham what? He believed God. So the old covenant... Abram, we don't have any evidence of Abram being a man of faith until this moment. Faith, evidence of what you can't see. We have no evidence of Abram. We just have evidence of God coming to Abram, right? And we have him saying, hey, listen, I'm going to take the reins over. And then what do we have here? We have God saying, no, this is what's going to happen. Let me show you the stars. And Abram's response in verse 6 is so powerful. He says, hey, I believe. And that belief right there credited him towards righteousness, what does that mean so that you guys get the vernacular? Righteousness, right standing with God. You weren't in right standing with God, now you are in right standing with God. So how does that work now with the new covenant? The new covenant, take, eat. As you do this, do this in remembrance of me. Do this as if you're taking upon my sacrifice for you. What is your part in this role? Right? Romans chapter 10, verse 9 and 10 says this. If you confess with your mouth, Jesus says, Lord, and you what? And you what? Believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart a person believes, resulting in righteousness. Let's change that. For with all of your money given to a church, you result in righteousness. For all your good deeds and walking old people across the street, you result in righteousness. For you serving and going on a mission trip, that results in righteousness. For you raising a great family. No. One thing, just like it was back then, believing. Belief. You see how these, these covenants are the same? With the heart, a person believes, resulting in righteousness. And with the mouth, he confesses, resulting in salvation. What we see is we see these two covenants, the same, both very clear. God's doing the work. It's a one-sided covenant. God's doing the work. Back then, hey, Abram, I'm going to make you. Okay, God, uh, what do I do? Uh, believe? Okay. That's it. God's doing the work. He's doing the heavy lifting, and that's the same here. God does the saving. He does the regeneration of our spirit, right? He gives the filling. And similar to what Abraham did where he said, all right, let me, like, Sarah, let's get on it here. We're going to. We're going to figure this out our own self. We do the same thing with our salvation, right? Galatians chapter three talks about it all the time. And Paul's just hammering home the church. He's going, what are you guys doing? Look what he says. Oh, foolish Galatians, who has cast an evil spell on you? 
For the meaning of Jesus Christ's death was made clear as to you as if you had seen a picture of his death on the cross. Let me ask you a question, Paul's saying. Did you receive the Holy Spirit, you becoming the temple of the Holy Spirit, by obeying the law of Moses? That would be a conditioned thing. Of course not. You received the Spirit because you believed the message. You heard about Christ. How foolish can you be after starting your Christian lives in the Spirit? Why are you now trying to become perfect by your own human effort? Right? This is what Paul's talking about. Keep going. Ready to go. Do it now. Yeah. Have you experienced so much for nothing? Surely it was not in vain, was it? I ask you again, did, does God give you the Holy Spirit and work miracles among you because you obey the law? Of course not. It's because you believe the message you heard about Christ. In the same way, Abraham believed God and God counted him as righteous because of his faith. The real children of Abraham then are those who put their faith in God. Are you seeing this marriage? This is cool, man. Really, really cool stuff. By the way, back in Genesis 15, where it says in verse 6, where he believed the Lord and has accounted him for righteousness, the first time in the Bible you see the word believe. The first time. Righteousness attained by your own effort ends the covenant and puts it all on you and sets you up for failure. Righteousness that's gained by belief is eternal. You can come to Jesus and partake in this and have your sins washed again and again and again. Praise the Lord. Okay. Now it's getting hairy a little bit here. Genesis 15, 7. Now Abraham's believed. And now there's this unique experience that's going to happen. I like this a lot. I love how personal God is here. Everybody with me a few more minutes? Everybody? Okay. He said also to him, I am the Lord who brought you out of Ur to give you this land to take possession of. But Abram said, Sovereign Lord, how can I know that I'll gain possession of it? It's the same thing I said just earlier. There's some of us that we, we are, we're, we're struggling with our faith. I don't think God looks down and goes, you're not believing in what you don't see. Like, I think God understands because we're his creation. So look what he does here. When Abram's like, God, I believe, but can you show me something? So the Lord said to him, bring me a heifer, a goat, and a ram, each three years old, along with a dove and a young pigeon. Abram brought all these things to him. He cut them in two and arranged the halves opposite each other. The birds, however, he did not cut in half. The birds of prey came down on the carcasses, but Abram drove them away. There's a preaching there. As the sun was setting, Abram fell into a deep sleep, and a thick and dreadful darkness came over him. Then the Lord made a covenant with Abraham and said, To your descendants I give this land from the wadi of Egypt to the great river, the Euphrates. Keep going. Know for certain now. I need you to get this. You got to get this. This is important. It's the beginning of the covenant. God tells Abraham exactly what's going to happen to his people in Egypt. What does that mean? That means, I'll just be very, just, I'll skip to the point. That means coronavirus is not outside the control of God. 
It doesn't surprise him. Nothing surprises him. Nothing bad ever surprises him. It's an opportunity for his glory to be shown. At the very beginning of the covenant, God said, let me tell you what's going to happen now. Something you don't love. Know for certain that for 400 years, your descendants will be a stranger in a country not their own and that they will be enslaved and mistreated there. But I will punish the nation they serve as slaves and afterwards they will come out with great possessions. You, however, will go to your ancestors. Abraham, you're not going to see it in peace and be buried at a good old age. In the fourth generation, your descendants will come back here for the sin of the Amorites has not yet reached its full measure. Oh my goodness. That's it, right? When the sun had set and darkness had fallen, a smoking fire pot, and Chris is going to get into this next week, with a blazing torch appeared and passed between the pieces. Did you guys get that picture or no? Did you have to know? So what happened here is that Abraham goes, God, I need a sign of this promise. Back in the day, there was a custom that when a covenant or a contract was made, what would happen is that there would be something similar to this where there would be animal carcasses cut down the center and split. And the two people that were part of the covenant would walk in the middle with blood all around them, would walk in the middle and they would say the, um, the conditions of the covenant as they walked through. If only one person walked through, it wasn't a covenant. Both people had to walk through. And what they were basically saying is, hey, listen, um, death and pain come to me if I don't fulfill my side because there's half here and there's half here, right? Did you see what happened here? Where was Abraham during this portion? And what went through this? The presence of God went through this, showing what? A one-sided, unconditional covenant. The presence of God in a smoking pot and a pillar of fire went down, go back so that they can, everyone can see that, went down the middle of this while Abraham slept. What am I trying to say? Abraham didn't sign the covenant. Literally, Abraham did not sign the covenant, showing the same exact thing. That me and you, when Jesus died on the cross, he says, I give my body to be broken for all. And the only... What's my conditions to be saved? What's my conditions? Not me signing on a contract. It's not at all that. It's simply saying this. You are enough. Your power, your grace, your plan for me is enough. I'm going to take that upon me. That's the only thing I can say that's going to make me stand righteous is Jesus' blood, not my good works. Do you see how amazing this is? Right? God puts him asleep. Okay? That's why when, when, we, when we keep going back to this, my body is broken for you. My, right? we, 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 we see Jesus on the cross where, his, where he was pierced, split, blood flow, the covenant. And you take part of it through your belief. I got to finish up here with one challenge. This is, this is cool for me. At the beginning of this covenant in Genesis chapter 12, verse 2, I want you to see one more time. <clears throat> Genesis 12, verse 2. I will make you into a great nation, Abraham. I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse, and all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. Then in Genesis 15, 1, which we already read, we see this. Don't be afraid, Abraham. I'm your shield 
I'm your great reward. I want this to hit you for a second like it hit me. The first time God spoke to Abraham, he gave him two things. Great name. I'm going to make you a great name, like posterity. The second thing he gave him was what? Land. The next time we see God talk to him, we, say, we see him say, I am your shield. And what? I'm your great reward. I want this to hit you like it did me. Sometimes, when we're waiting on the promise of God, let me start back further. When we come to Jesus, it's so amazing how for new Christians, Jesus is enough. Like, have you ever hung out with a new believer that's just on fire? Like, man, they are like, are they like living in an alternate reality? Like, what's happening with, they're always smiling. What's wrong with these people, right? Because what happens? They have, Jesus becomes, look, their great reward. But somewhere along the line, somewhere along the line, similar to this covenant, there's this, this switch up. Because what God said is, hey, I'm your great reward, but to show my greatness through you, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to give you a land that's going to be forever. And Abraham and everyone that followed him went, man, I, I thank you for this land. And then it went from thank you to this land to how do I make this land better? And then it went, how do I make this land better to how do I protect this land? And then it went to, how do I protect this land to, how do I gain more land? And all of a sudden, the very first thing or that, Jesus, that God said is, no, no, I'm your reward. The land is proof. The blessing that you've been promised for your family, for the vision that God's given you, the talent that you have, those things are to be subsidiaries of God's blessing. They're not to be the thing that chase that you chase. The problem with human history is that God says, I'm going to be your reward, and that becomes not enough for us. When we celebrate Christmas Eve, when we do communion in a few minutes, and we have this moment of, of solidarity, and we have this moment of deep like introspection, right? And something where we have this connection with the Lord. And then later down the day, we go down and we go, man, this is what I need. Lord, would you give this to me? Okay, you promised. Okay, you prove it to me. Prove me that you love me. And we, we go from the great reward, which is this. You don't know that God is your great reward unless you actually know where you came from. That's a problem for people like me that have been in church all my life. That blue bubble gum and go, that's my sin for the day. Hear me. That's a disturbed mindset. Because then I start seeking for things outside of the pure reward of God. I start going, Lord, I want the land. Right, like So God's got the land. He's got a promise, right? And for 400 years, they're gone, and God's got the land waiting for them. And you know what they're saying? They're not saying this, Lord, would you bring us back to you to where we can come into right standing with you and right fellowship? You know what they're asking for? Give us our land. I'm yelling because I want you to understand that we get confused as Christians. Well, I, God promised me that my wife would be like this. Where is he coming through? No, God promised you relationship first. 
And you were supposed to be set with a foot and with an enjoyment of just that. That when he opened up that relationship through you via the cross, that should be enough. But it becomes so not enough when we put conditions on if he loves us based upon the blessing that we're waiting for, the promise that we're waiting for. We don't want to get it mixed around. He is your great reward. Okay? I want that to hit you. Okay? We got to get this, guys. Because the culture, and I'll just step into it for a second. I can turn on the TV, up at the, the high channels on direct TV, to some Christian stations, that all they're talking about is the blessing. The blessing is that forever and ever, you will be with Jesus Christ. In something kind of funny with young people, young Christians that get married, man, right? Man, they just cannot wait to, she's just the wedding. Ooh, the wedding. It's going to be great. You know, we're going to have these colors. We're going to do this. And for now, weddings are like huge things. And the husband, man, he's, ooh, we going to get in the wedding night. Right? And that's the thing. That's the deal. And everything in the courtship is all about one day. It's all about, look, it's all about the reward. Their thought of the reward. And then six months out into the marriage, they go, I don't really like this person. But we planned a giant event together, and we've had some good sex. I'm just trying to throw this to you for a second so that you understand. Like, the concept is... And I'm getting personal here, but the marriage is, can we sit and watch uh, Golden Girls? That, that right there, the great reward of a marriage is unity. It's not, it's, it's not the sex. That's good. That's part of it. It's not the wedding. And so what happens is when we take the focus, the desires, guys, of our lives, and we take it and we put it off of just God being our reward. We're setting ourselves up for us saying, the Lord's forgotten about me. He hadn't forgotten about you. Your every breath is him saying, you're mine. That's enough. And every single solitary blessing that you have two things. One, for his glory to be shown in you for others to see. And two, listen, for you to be a blessing to other people. That's the covenant. Okay? Close your eyes.